0: Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for joining us today for Midweek Perspectives as we take another look at the book of Acts. A beautiful day out there. I uh, hope you get to enjoy it this evening some. Today we're going to be taking a look at Acts chapter 8. And if you have not had yet the opportunity to, to read that, why don't you press pause on your player and we'll give you a little bit of time here to, to jump in there, read that chapter. Um, it's definitely an interesting one, um, and it's, a, it's another chapter of action, and um, kind of a new person takes center stage. We'll talk about him just a little bit, but there are some interesting things to pull uh, from this chapter that I think we can gain by taking a closer look at. So um, take the time to read, give you a little bit of a second, um, press pause, and then join back with us in a few seconds. Okay. Hopefully you had the time to take a look at Acts chapter 8, and as you'll see right at the beginning, first of all, you have a guy by the name of Saul who is who is ending uh, chapter 7. We uh, see a little bit about him, and from this point on in the rest of the book of Acts, he's going to factor in a bunch. Um, now, this is before his conversion, obviously, and we see um, after the death of Stephen, uh, him begin a, a great persecution in the area around um, Jerusalem. And, and the towns and the cities nearby. And he gets the authority to do this from uh, the Sanhedrin. And this this makes a, a very big impact. And what you see taking place from that is, if you look in, in verse 1, I'll read it for you. It says, Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death, and that is Stephen. As I said, that verse should have probably been in chapter 7. Uh, And then the rest of verse 1 says this, And on that day a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the uh, apostles. Now, your Bible might, instead of the word scattered there that the New American Standard uses, might use the word dispersed, which is actually very closely connected to the Greek word the diaspora or the diaspora in a different type of form and what that means is as as just as we said is it's the dispersing of the people persecution came in and God used that persecution to send his people out from Jerusalem to this point in time the church kind of just kind of stayed there in Jerusalem now keep in mind the day of pentecost there were people from from quite Uh, a distance away from Jerusalem, and obviously some of those were converted to Christ during the day of Pentecost, and they took that faith and that message away with them. As we'll see, there's a very very real possibility that that's the story of Aquila and Priscilla that we'll read more about later in the book of Acts. But, Back in Judea, the the church had kind of just held right in there to the region right around Jerusalem to this point. Well, this this persecution scattered, dispersed those Christians, and as they went, they did not keep their mouth shut. Look at verse four. It says that it says this: Therefore, those who had been scattered or dispersed went went about preaching the word. So they left judea they left more specifically they left jerusalem but they didn 't leave their message behind; they took it with them, and they continued to preach the gospel. Now, in Acts chapter seven, we saw um, uh, something that 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 fell right into place after Acts chapter six. If you remember Acts chapter six um, the the deacons were were uh, we, we see them for the first time within the church, and these seven men who took upon themselves the, were given the responsibility, I should say by the apostles to to serve tables there in Jerusalem now. We, we don't know a lot about all of them, but two of them we know quite a bit about. The first one is Stephen. He was one of the deacons, and obviously, chapter 7, he, he is right in the forefront of what's taking place. And then, when you get to Acts chapter 8, we see another one of these deacons who comes to the forefront, and his name is Philip. Now, Philip, after this scattering, now, he didn't go to the far reaches of the earth, but he did leave uh, Jerusalem, and as he left and went to the areas around him, he, uh, he continued to preach, and he went to, of all places, to Samaria. Now, there's something we need to understand about Samaria and about Judea. Uh, there was a level of animosity between these two people groups that would be hard for us to even contemplate. Um, the Jews saw the Samaritans as half breeds. And what I mean by that is in the Old Testament times, you had the Southern Kingdom and the Northern Kingdom. The Southern Kingdom was made up of the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, the other ten tribes made up the Northern Kingdom. The Northern Kingdom, uh, they. Almost their entire history, they uh, rebelled against the authority of God and served idols and did all of these, these things. And the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, they didn't do great in that way themselves either, but they still would have kings that would come along who would put them on the right track. And so, so they were, in their minds, God's people, and they would become the Jews of Jerusalem. Well, um, both of these nations, um, you got, again, the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah, both of these nations would be taken captive by other nations that would overpower them. Of course, God was working through and in all of this. Uh, The northern kingdom of Israel, long before Judah was taken captive by Babylon, the northern kingdom was taken captive by Assyria. Now, when that took place... What you have left there in Israel is is a a, a people group. Uh, I mean, distraught people, um, and and as the Assyrian captivity. Uh, Assyria did not stay in power for a real, real long period of time, and as they lost their power, there were those who came back into the nation of Israel, okay, Um, and this is the region just to the north of Jerusalem and Judea that would become Samaria. Now, when they would come back, they would intermarry with other people groups Um, that's why they were called half-breeds you would say by the jews Um, they weren't pure true israelites on top of that as i said later judah would be taken captive by the kingdom of babylon and their exile would last 70 years well then there would be those who would come back to jerusalem they rebuilt the temple they rebuilt the walls of the city. And 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 the nation that again they at that during that exiles when you start hearing this this title the Jews and as they were trying to rebuild the northern kingdom, Samaria did not like this taking place, and it was because of Samaria foremost is why we talked about in the sermon a couple weeks ago was they're rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. They had to have a hammer in one hand and a sword in the other. So there is a lot of history behind this animosity between the Samaritans and the Jews. They do not like each other at all. So Philip going and preaching the word to them is a really big deal. Now, they received, many of them received his message, and Jerusalem hears about that. And so they send Peter and John to Samaria to see exactly what's taking place here. And when they show up, they find out. I'm going I'm to read for you beginning in verse 14, and this is what it says. Now, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the holy spirit for he had not yet fallen upon any of them they had simply been baptized in the name of the lord jesus now this is a big deal this is a really big deal and this is something we need to look at here for just a moment because when i look to baptism and baptism's connection to the forgiveness of sin acts 238 Um, Not only baptism's connection to the forgiveness of sins, but baptism's connection to the gift of the Holy Spirit... This doesn't look like what's taking place here in Acts chapter 8, and it makes me wonder why. And what I'm referencing is Acts 2.38. Remember the very first time the gospel sermon was ever preached, the people who heard the message asked Peter and the rest of the apostles, they were cut to the heart, they said, what shall we do? And Peter responded, and Peter answered, and he said, repent, and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, so that you might receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So when I look here in Acts chapter 8, verse 16, it says they had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And my question is, what is the difference between that and Acts 2.38? How come they did not receive the Spirit? This makes no sense. They're following the pattern, I'm sure, is what Philip preached to them to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Of course, we know that Philip connects his preaching of the gospel to and conversion to baptism. Just look at near the end of Acts chapter 8 when he he meets with the Ethiopian eunuch. And that encounter ends with the Ethiopian eunuch being baptized. So obviously, Philip's preaching that message to them. But why did the Holy Spirit not come upon them? Why did Peter and John have to lay their hands upon them for the Holy Spirit to fall upon them and even for these miraculous visible signs of the existence of the Holy Spirit within them take place? This is the point that we have to understand. This is a huge moment in church history, meaning this. Up to this point, it was just Jews who had heard about the message responded to the message and now we're going to break down a very very big wall here the wall between the jews and the samaritans there's going to be some jews who take issue with this in a big way Because they don't like the Samaritans. And the Samaritans don't like them. This is a very big deal. So those Jews who would take issue with this, there needs to be something to show God has put his stamp of approval on this people group of the Samaritans. And God, in all of his incredible knowledge, does just that. And that's what we need to understand. Do not take from Acts chapter chapter 8, beginning with verse 14 through 16, and set that up as the pattern. In other words, okay, is there two separate baptisms here? I mean, do you get baptized in the name of Jesus, and then later on you're baptized by the Holy Spirit? now that 's not really the pattern that scripture sets we 're talking about some extraordinary circumstances here, and why this takes place here and If there is these two baptisms we we have to understand that that the vast majority of the time this happens simultaneously when someone is immersed into christ so that being said, you have any more questions about that, um, feel free to ask me about it sometime. We can visit about it a little bit. I just went through that very, very quickly um, because that's something that needs to be pointed out and looked at very specifically. We're going to see something similar to that in Acts chapter 10 here in a couple of weeks. Now, Leaving that, um, once again, we, we get to the second half of the chapter, and Philip is still center stage. The Spirit tells him to go to the Gaza Road coming down out of Jerusalem, so he goes there. He meets the Ethiopian eunuch. He preaches Jesus to him. I love that terminology. He took the passage of Isaiah 53, what the Ethiopian eunuch was reading, which he is a proselyte. He was in Jerusalem worshiping, um, and he's also a royal official um, in Ethiopia. So he's on his way home reading Isaiah 53, saying, what? Who's this talking about? What's this mean? Philip shows up by the leading of the Spirit, preaches Jesus to him from that passage. They come upon some water, an oasis. The the, the eunuch says, hey, there's water. What's, what keeps me from being baptized? Um, Philip says, great. So they get down. They get in the water. As they come up out of the water, I, I love this. And I don't know exactly what this is referring to. Um, but I like it just the same. It says this in verse 39 of Acts 8. says, When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. So here we have Philip he goes into the water with the Ethiopian eunuch and they come up he comes out the eunuch comes up out of the water and he's gone now is this a miraculous thing is this a miraculous work of the holy spirit being snatched away did he teleport is that what this is getting at here i don't know it seems like the text kind of points that direction it says he came to him he found himself at in azatos which is 20 miles to the north but at the same time, it very well could just be that the Holy Spirit told Philip just like He told him to go to the road of the Gaza Road. He could have told him to go to Azotus. We really don't know. It would have been nice to to see what took place there. Obviously, uh, the power of the Spirit can do um, amazing things. So either one could have happened. Um, I guess we won't know that answer till we visit with Philip ourselves one day in God's kingdom in heaven. So that all kind of wraps up Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 9 is where we will jump into. Oh man, this is a huge monumental chapter in the book of Acts where we see um, this Saul of Tarsus get shaken up in a way that he never, ever could have expected. So Acts chapter 9 is an exciting chapter. I encourage you to read it once, twice, three times. Um, Read it several times before we come together again next Wednesday. Thank you again for taking the time to join us today, and I pray that you have a good rest of your week. We'll see you on Sunday.